Welcome back to Second Helping, the first choice among podcasts for fans and followers of the number one league in all of collegiate athletics. That league, of course, the Southeastern Conference. Travis Schreier, senior analyst for BamaOnline.com, part of the 247sports.com network. Joined, as always, by my great friend, Brent Beard, college football analyst for First Coast News in Jacksonville, Florida, and also a longtime voter in the race for the Heisman Trophy. And Brent, wow. We knew we had pretty much a full slate of SEC teams in action from over the weekend, the first Saturday in the month of November, but we're already starting to see fallout among the coaching ranks, more so on the assistant level of one program of note that we'll get into a little bit later in the podcast, but no shortage of topics even beyond the games on the field, Brent. Uh, we could do a mini documentary on just about every team right now, it is. It, it, it is amazing, but yet on the field, uh, some very fascinating games to say the least. And and what we have got a bunch of schools right now, Trav, who are either qualified now for bowl games or 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 close, which is uh, just one of many reasons it's, it's an interesting year in the SEC. No doubt about that. And we'll start with Georgia in that early window on Saturday, forty-three to six winners over the Missouri Tigers injuries this time of year such a big part of the storyline that was certainly the case for the visiting tigers at sanford stadium on saturday no connor Bazlack at quarterback he had been banged up for multiple weeks going into november so to a surprise though i guess to a lot of folks it was missouri that gets out to the three nothing lead but from that point forward as you might expect it was all dogs yeah, yeah, no question. And uh, uh, Stetson Bennett, 13 of 19, 255. Trav, we had a JT Daniels signing of uh, 7 of 11 for 82. Uh, so uh, it it, uh, it was over fairly quickly as Georgia uh, get, gets ready for bigger games coming up. And they've got one this weekend with Tennessee that we'll uh, preview uh, coming up. But they pretty well have done it. Uh, the way they have the Georgia, the first, the first Division One team since Bama '92 to hold each of his first eight opponents under 14 points. So uh, for this, uh, for this Georgia defense, uh, if you want to know how good they are, any comparison to that '92 defense for Alabama, Trav, uh, that gets people's attention. No doubt about it. If you talk about the '92 Bama defense, the 2011 Alabama defense. You're talking about a standard that is for all time. And you said it with Stetson Bennett once again hitting the big plays in the passing game, averaging 13.4 yards per attempt. He came in averaging 12.5 yards per attempt, as we talked about late last week. He is beyond, in terms of yards per attempt, what we've seen in recent years from Mac Jones to Otonga Vailoa, even Joe Burrow, as we also pointed out last Thursday, not throwing it nearly as much as those guys did, but extremely efficient Stetson Bennett when he goes to the air and on a day too, in which Georgia's run game, not as dominant as you might've expected, given how poor the Missouri rush defense has been to this point in the season. But that Georgia defense, as you pointed out, did a good job once again on the ground. Tyler Beatty, obviously the centerpiece of that Missouri offense he carries nine times for 41 yards, about four and a half per clip. Not bad considering the opposition, actually. Yeah. But once again, Georgia getting some big plays in the passing game. 
Well, and listen again, uh, Travis and I mention this every week, and people ignore this sometimes. But the reality is, in Bennett's passing, 255 is one thing, two touchdowns. But, Trev, that, that, that big zero by that interception is what Kirby is looking for, and he gets it one more time. And, by the way, uh, Kirst Jackson uh, having a really big game for uh, the Dogs, uh, 126 on 10 catches. But uh, if you ask Kirby about Stetson, uh, Trev, uh, uh, that zero mistakes and zero, zero interceptions, that would be one of the first things he'd mention, wouldn't it? No doubt about it, especially after throwing a couple of picks against Florida and Jacksonville a couple of Saturdays ago. You like to see that turnover column clean, and Bennett was able to do that on Saturday. And Georgia special teams coming up big once again. They blocked a couple of kicks now this season did it again against missouri for a safety and the dogs roll by 37 over the visiting missouri tigers in oxford mississippi hugh returns to the vault on saturday Ole miss gets off to a pretty fast start in that game brent despite sort of a skeletal offense at this point with the injuries mounting for the rebels Quarterback Matt Corral, obviously less than 100% in his own right. Jerry and Ely strikes early, though. Yeah. Ole Miss gets off to a, a very manageable lead and is able to get home from there 27-14. to 14. Uh, Well, I think the thing that, that impressed me so much, Travis, about Ole Miss, they had nine sacks. Uh, it, which is something that they have not done, frankly, in decades. So that that was uh, quite impressive. They harass Malik Willis uh, the entire game, never really let him uh, get going. And even when he was able to do that, uh, Willis really did very little. Uh, uh, Matt Corral. Interceptions, was, yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Matt Corral was uh, efficient and serviceable, and that's basically what they need. When you're up 24 nothing at half, uh, that makes a big difference. Certainly bigger games coming up like A&M next week, which we will preview, uh, but all in all. And, and frankly, a very emotional Hugh Freeze after the game and the press conference. He had a lot of people come up to him uh, afterwards. And look, with, with, all of, with all of Hugh's mistakes that he was at Ole Miss, there were still a lot of people who – uh, have a, a real affinity for Hugh, and they appreciate what he did. And and I think, frankly, he was given a pretty warm welcome, like we kind of thought that he would uh, during that time. So, but but still, uh, a, a very a, an important win for Ole Miss, uh, win number seven for the Rebels, as uh, they are now in pretty good stead for as far as the bowl game is concerned. Yeah, moving up that SEC bowl pecking order with that seventh win. 20-plus NFL teams in attendance to watch Malik Willis <laughs> and Matt Corral duel it out. You're right about that pass rush for Ole Miss, especially early in the game. You kind of felt bad for Willis. He couldn't hardly get his feet set. You know, we talk about the NFL presence at that game. Sam Williams, the outside defender, the edge defender for Ole Miss, may have made more money for himself really? than any player on the field <laughs> with the way he was able to dominate things there off the edge but Ole Miss gets it done it was a 24 to nothing lead for the Rebels and then 
Um, Liberty made it pretty respectable down the stretch and in, in closing things to a 13 point deficit to end the ball game in college station in that CBS window on Saturday. We talked about it late last week, which of these offensive lines mm-hmm. would hold up best in the face of formidable front sevens on the other side of the ball. And I think we got our answer by game's end in a 20 to three win for Texas A&M over Auburn. It was the Aggies from start to finish that had just a little bit more. Well, and we also said whoever can run the ball and stop the run uh, is is going to probably win the game. Uh, so that that is very indicative of what happened. Isaiah Spiller uh, really stepping up. Uh, and, and look, I give Calzada, Zach Calzada a lot of credit. Now look, 15 or 29 uh, 192, uh, a zero in the touchdown, zero in the interception. But that's a tough kid, Andy Traff. Uh, I, I mean, he got. It looked uh, like his left shoulder went out. Absolutely. Yeah. On the yeah, field. Absolutely. And they had to get him back to the tent where apparently Mr. Miyagi is uh, <laughs> on the Texas A&M medical staff really? because I would have thought at that point it was game over for Calzada. Yes. But you're right. There he was. He came back similar to the Alabama game and. Led his team to victory. Uh, well, and, and, and listen, one of the stats you talk about a lot of times, A&M Travis averaged 6.4 yards per play, Auburn 3.2, yeah. so it, it, only half of what A&M did. I didn't think Tank Bigsby was bad. He carried it 15 times for True. 69 yards, so he was a little under five yards per carry, but you didn't see the big runs from the Tigers. Hunter with a long run of 14. Bigsby, a long run of 11. Shivers for seven. Bo Nix had a carry for 11 yards. But anytime you still get Bo Nix north of 35 pass right. attempts in a yes. game, you're probably going to be in good shape against this Auburn offense. And that was the case once again in this one. Nix went to the air 41 times. He averaged just 3.7 yards per attempt. And Uh, Didn't have the balance, just didn't have the mix. And I thought for Texas A&M, you anticipate Jalen Weidermeyer being a real factor from that tight end position. I thought Calzada was also victimized by a couple of drops. Weidermeyer had one. I think Anaya Smith had one. Uh, But the the reemergence, I guess you could say, of Caleb Chapman at the wide receiver position. Had an injury a year ago. It kind of been... Not a factor in the offense to this point of the season. Three catches for 77 yards, including a long of 49 that really sparked that A&M offense on Saturday. So the Aggies maintain position just behind SEC Western Division leader Alabama. If Alabama has a slip up between, say, Arkansas in a couple weeks or on the road at Auburn, uh, there are the Aggies in good shape. Also want to mention here, too, um, Aggies outscored Auburn 17 nothing after halftime. One of the Auburn beat writers made an interesting point today, Travis, uh, in that um, now Nick's 20-41, sacked four times, intercepted once. But what changed it for Nick's was 
the scoop and score on the fumble. Yeah, a couple uh, and, of turnovers. Oh, they, yeah. They resurfaced for him in the game. Uh, and and their point was a good one is, Tramp, when Nix has a play like that, he basically is, uh, I don't know if they, if they use the word useless necessarily, but they just said it pretty well paralyzes him after a mistake like that. Wondered if they may should have made a quarterback change at that point. I'm not surprised they didn't because of his, his good play before the A&M game. But listen again, A&M line of scrimmage, we've talked about this now for what, two or three years together and whatever we've done, that Jimbo wanted to make that line of scrimmage on both sides more, shall we say, SEC-like. Trev, I think he certainly has done that. You know, we'll talk about this maybe a little bit more in a minute, but even from the Alabama game to this point in the season, when you look at the two offensive lines for those teams in that game, and the progress that A&M has made as an offensive line in comparison to where Alabama is Absolutely. at this point, I'd say edge to A&M as yes. far as the improvement they've made up front on the offensive side of the ball. Hey, let's go to Fayetteville, Arkansas. We anticipated this one. You know, this one we kind of felt like you could call the top candidate to become the next DC at Florida Bowl yeah, between yeah. <laughs> Zach Arnett of Mississippi State and Barry Odom of Arkansas, two of the more highly regarded defensive bosses in the Southeastern Conference these days. But ultimately, there was still plenty of offense for both Arkansas and Mississippi State on Saturday afternoon in Fayetteville. The quarterbacks, you look at those stat lines immediately. Will Rogers once again. North of seven yards per pass attempt. That's two Mm -hmm. weeks in a row, Brent. 36 of 48, 417 yards for Will Rogers. He did have an interception. Meanwhile, K.J. Jefferson, very efficient, 19 of 23 for 191 uh, and 190 uh, in a touchdown in the game. So uh, really, really good football game that Arkansas ends up winning by a field goal. Trev, does Dominique Johnson of Arkansas, the running back, get enough credit? Great game uh, Saturday, yeah. Uh, 17 for 107, uh, and, and is really moving up the ladder as far as uh, in the SEC ranks. Uh, Arkansas now bowl eligible. Uh, <laughs> let's just sit with that one for a couple of seconds. Look, they can say all they want to about Pittman, but, but Trev, frankly, has anyone made as much progress? And I know they had a mid-season swoon. Well, we get that. But for this team to be 6-3 and three right now, uh, it's still with what, what Jefferson's done, Traylon Burke, who we both like, uh, six, six catches for 82 yards. But, and, and listen, you mentioned uh, special teams. A few minutes, a few minutes ago, uh, Trev, uh, special team for state has directly cost them two games. You remember the Memphis game, yeah. where where the officials absolutely blew that p- 
punt return uh, that, that should have been down by on the 20 was called the touchdown, uh, missed three field goals, two from their starter, one from their reserve, uh, having uh, Mike Leach not happy at all, saying that would be <laughs> campus-wide tryouts this week for field goal kicker. Yeah, Mississippi State has a soccer team, so uh, you know maybe that's the route they go there with that mm-hmm. kicking position, but it was brutal. Kind of reminiscent of Alabama's trip to Fayetteville in 2006 where you had Lee Tiffin really struggling to split Mm. the uprights and what proved to be Mike Shula's final season as the head coach of the Crimson Tide. But man, Traylon Burks, you talk about just an all around football player. You talked about his receiving numbers, but he also had three carries for 39 (laughs) yards and even attempted a pass in the game. So Mm. just a guy that Kendall Bryles, your offensive coordinator there at Arkansas, very wisely tries to get Traylon Burks involved in just about every aspect of offensive football on a weekly basis. And you're right about the ball eligibility thing with Arkansas. And that wasn't lost on Sam Pittman. Pretty much the first thing he said in his on the field interview after the win was to make note that we are going to a bowl. And I don't think that's something that you can undervalue given where this program has been in the last four or five, six years. Uh, well, and listen, what is that going to do as far as recruiting is concerned? Uh, is they up the ante here? So it be very interesting to see where they uh, end up going. And I'll tell you what, uh, you mentioned Kendall Bryles. Uh, Trev, are they going to have to pony up a little bit of money to keep Kendall after this season? Yeah, that's an interesting scenario to consider for Pittman during this offseason with Bryles, which I thought Bryles might end up being a candidate for that Texas Tech job. It yes. didn't work out that way. I believe a Baylor assistant was it, appointed to that position on Monday, or it was reported at least. So uh, Kendall Bryles and Barry Odom are a couple of guys as your coordinators that you're going to probably on an annual basis have to to kick in the the Tyson chicken money, the Walmart money, <laughs> yeah, you know, all yeah. that money out there in Northwest Arkansas is going to have to, to come into play there in the evening window of sec action from Saturday, you had Alabama and LSU in prime time on ESPN, a game that you felt like Alabama should control and win rather easily, especially after what we saw the Crimson Tide do, to the Tigers in Baton Rouge a year ago, but I think we had it reaffirmed for us one more time, Brent, that while a good team, this team ain't that team no. from 2020. No, they're, uh, this team can be very fragile at times. They can be championship-like at other times, uh, but in uh, defense stepping up, um, keeping Ole Miss out of the end zone on their last three possessions, uh, even with the struggles for the, at the Alabama offense, tied rushing for only six yards on 26 carries. Ryan Robinson did get uh, in the end zone. Uh, and, and look, I, I give LSU a lot of credit. Uh, I know Alabama took them uh, obviously very lightly, uh, but – uh, with all the players that we that we chronicle that missed the game, uh, this can be still be a dangerous team. Davis Price had over a hundred yards uh, in the game. Uh, so, and but again, Will Anderson, Dallas Turner, a couple of guys who really played well. Jamison Williams actually now leads the SEC. He he had another good game. So uh, it, it it was a mixed bag for the Tide and what was. 
a, a another surprising game uh, among uh, among several on Saturday night with people who didn't have a dog in the hunt but probably wearing out batteries on their remote with those three SEC games. Absolutely, and we talked about this in previewing this game that while LSU was severely depleted on the back end of that defense, they still have some dudes in they that do. front seven with Damone Clark and Neil Farrell Jr., B.J. Ojolari. Still a very formidable group in that front seven. That was on display Saturday night, as you said, a Saban era low, six rushing yards. Even with Brian Robinson and Roydell Williams – and taking the sack yardage out of it, four LSU sacks of Bryce Young in the game. Brian Robinson and Roydell Williams, 15 combined carries for 27 yards. And so when you consider the struggles that Alabama had throughout the game with an emphasis of not being able to close the game with a 20-7 to lead there in the second half, you can look at the inability to sustain balance and especially run the football when there's the opportunity to finish off an opponent. I'll tell you who LSU's front seven performance, especially against the run, but even in the pass rush, was encouraging to on Saturday night. If you're Georgia and you watch that LSU tape against Alabama from Saturday night, it's going to be hard not to crack a smile and feel even better about your chances in a matchup with the Crimson Tide should it come to fruition in Atlanta, Georgia, on that first Saturday in December. Well, and listen, you can only scheme your way out of so much. Uh, And and I know Bama's got the receivers to take advantage of that Georgia secondary at times, but the reality is, uh, can Bryce Young get rid of the ball in time in order for that to happen? Bama's still struggling on that offensive line obviously uh, they had some injuries and situation they had they had to fill uh, now uh, another reason that offensive line struggled and you mentioned it uh, Damon Clark uh, oh by the way Trav Clark leads the SEC with 107 tackles 20 more 20 than anyone else in the league yeah he'll play in the National Football League Woo. he's a legit dude he when is, you talk about Damon Clark and again that front seven, even with Mason Smith, the outstanding true freshman, ruled out for the game in the lead-up to kickoff on Saturday, they still had plenty, especially with an offensive line for Alabama, as you outlined. Had an injury in the first quarter to center Darian Dawcourt. Chris Owens goes from right tackle to center. Damian George enters the game at right tackle. And Alabama just never had a grip on things no. up front. And again, all the credit to Bryce Young. Uh, for doing what he did, and you're right. You know, I said this before. You think about this team right now without a couple of guys, especially. You think about this team if it didn't have Will Anderson. You think about this team if it didn't have Bryce Young. Even Jamison Williams is the transfer uh, addition from Ohio State. That's not typically the case with Alabama. Alabama usually has a depth or has had a depth, even at quarterback, as we've seen in some previous years, where you go, well, it wouldn't be good, but they might be able to manage it to an extent. This Alabama team is more heavily dependent on a handful of players as just about any you'll see in, yes. in the Nick Saban era. Yeah, it, very unusual. And, I, and along with that theme, um, it, we'll preview it later. But I think, Travis, that's why it's important 
against New Mexico State and to a degree against Arkansas, and Arkansas is going to give them trouble too, is that they that they're able to play a lot more of these guys to give them some experience, especially these younger players, uh, as they've got a very difficult, if they go to the SEC championship, even more difficult schedule coming up the rest of November. Arkansas looks to be more whole going into the final month of the regular season this time around as in comparison to a year ago when Alabama went out there and it was a pretty depleted Arkansas team that the Crimson Tide took apart in that game. This year, you've got Arkansas coming off a matchup with an FCS opponent followed by a bye week before it took on Mississippi State. So should be a different vibe, a different team altogether that Alabama sees in Tuscaloosa in a couple of Saturdays. You know, we talked about late last week, Brent, that while Tennessee's performances in recent games had given you a sense of optimism in terms of the direction of that program under Josh Heupel, we pretty much challenged the Wildcats. Go get a win. Go get a win and and not just play at a, an improved level in some areas with an emphasis on offense, only to come up a touchdown short against a capable team like Kentucky. And lo and behold, Brent, that's exactly what Tennessee did. Man, you talk about an offense that seems to be just in fast start mode these days. That's Tennessee right now. Uh, there's no doubt about that. I, I, Tennessee's playing extremely well. Uh, and they've got a lot of people's attention, including Kirby Smarts this week. But but again, speaking of efficiency, Hennon Hooker, 15 of 20, man, 316, ran for, four, for 41. Uh, uh, Tyon Evans has an ankle injury, so that really kind of kept uh, it kept him down uh, during this time, too. Uh, uh, Felix Jones continues to play well. Cedric Tillman's a guy who gave Alabama problems, and he continues to play well uh, during this time too. Uh, now, now, listen. If I saw Trev, uh, if I saw this right, I know I heard it this way, but the unbelievable thing is, Tennessee had the ball in this game uh, for what less than 15, 20 minutes overall. I don't think the game? Kentucky didn't punt. Kentucky didn't punt, I don't believe. Absolutely amazing to be that efficient when you've only had the ball uh, that that, that way, too. And again, uh, listen, the the Kentucky story, this stuff just doesn't end. It it is turnovers and that defense uh, in the first six games. Kentucky allowed 17 points per game in the past three games, all losses, Wildcats allowing 35 points per game. And you know, that hits Mark Stoops where it hurts because he is a defensive guy first and foremost. And if you tell him, look, you're going to possess the ball for essentially three quarters of the game and score 42 points, but you're going to lose by three. Uh, Mark probably wouldn't handle that all that well. And give Will Lavis credit. You know, we've talked about him as being sort of hit and miss at the quarterback position for the Wildcats. Well, he did have the interception, but he also threw three touchdown passes 
in the game. Also had two rushing touchdowns and a heroic performance by your guy, Wondell Robinson. That's right. At the wide receiver position for UK. Uh, 13 to 166. And Travis, the guy we both like, Chris Rodriguez back on track, 22 for 109. Yeah. And again, if you think about sort of a winning serum that was administered for Kentucky in the game, you would say all these numbers add up to that. But when you're Tennessee and you're able to create explosive plays like this offense does, you had three different guys have runs of 21 yards or more in the game for Tennessee on Saturday night. You had four different receivers for Tennessee with catches of 37 yards or more. Belis Jones, 72 yards. Uh, Peyton with a 75-yarder. Those were in the first quarter, by the way. Javante Peyton and Velas Jones with those 70-plus-yard touchdown catches. You oh. said it with Tillman, uh, Hyatt uh, with a 41-yard reception in the game. Here's what I like, too, about Hooker's performance. He did throw the four touchdown passes, and they all went to different receivers, four different receivers for Tennessee on the receiving end of those touchdown aerials from Hendon Hooker. So, yeah, all of a sudden, it's not, well, it's not division implications, really, in terms of a championship on Saturday. But Tennessee, Georgia definitely has the attention of not only the regional media, but the national media as well. I know game day, I guess, is headed to Oxford. Right. But I'm not sure my eyes and attention might not be more so on on Neyland Stadium Saturday. Uh, the, the eyes of CBS will certainly be there, won't they, Travis? And, yeah. and the and, and listen, one thing, and, and Cole Kubelik had an interesting take on Tennessee, and I won't belabor the point here, but I want to get your opinion of this. Kubelik said, Tennessee has a brilliant usage of the width of the field. Now, you and I saw them in person, uh, and I thought that that, that was interesting. Uh, they almost use every square inch of the field offensively, don't they? Well, there's the power spread offense, and then there's what uh, there's what Tennessee does, which is they go two-by-two two with two wide receivers, or maybe it's a tight end and a wide receiver on one side and, and two wide receivers on the other literally outside the hash marks on both sides of the field. So they spread you out and essentially turn it into almost six-man football in a lot of ways between the hash marks. And that's where they want to run it. But then also, because they do get you spread out, they're able to get things in space with the passing game. They get you honed in on that, and then, boom, they'll hit you over the top. So, yeah, it's been an evolution, no doubt about it, when you talk about this Tennessee offense in year one under Josh Heupel, a rounding things out on Saturday <laughs> night. Wow. Oh. And you kind of sense this coming after the performance we saw from the Florida Gators in a embarrassing loss to the South Carolina Gamecocks. And, you know, we said it late last week at this point, this is a Florida team that can't take anything for granted. Now, no. did you have a sense that maybe South Carolina could get a win over this Florida team, given its mindset and its current state? Sure. But to the extent that it went down at williams Bryce Stadium, I don't think anybody saw that coming. No, absolutely not. It, it, it was 
it, it was almost Georgia Southern like in the embarrassment as far as what happened to a South Carolina team that that, that frankly was playing a third string quarterback. And there, uh, uh, Kevin Harris went over 100 yards. He's barely done that the entire season. And again, the the problem with a loss like this is now all the tension is off the field uh, as far as uh, what this coaching staff's going to do. Todd Grantham is out. John Hevesy is out. And, and, and Travis, uh, I think what this smacks of to me is big money boosters. Uh, who are putting pressure on to where uh, 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 Dan Mullen, you either make changes or you're going to be next. And I'm sure not ruling that out. I've heard this morning from a source that I, that I trust who understands the situation that uh, there are big money boosters who are willing to, to get the money together for that $12 million buyout at this point. Uh, with Dan Mullen, but uh, and and Trav, here's another thing that that we talked about. It's only is, twelve. It's uh, only twelve. I mean, in comparison <laughs> to what O got. Oh yeah, O got seventeen. Yeah, that's right. It's a bargain. It's twelve. It's twelve. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. And, wow. And, and the other thing that's hurt Mullen. That's like a Groupon deal. <laughs> they must have a Groupon for that buyout. Of Dan Mullen. The 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 other thing that that's hurt Mullen here is is his relationship with the media. And look, and I'll say this real quick: embattled coaches, if they've got a good relationship with the media, uh, the the media can preach patience. Now, what you've got are podcasts and uh, columns that are basically saying uh, this thing may be past the point of no return and Florida's got to make a change. So, unfortunately for Dan Mullen right now, uh, Trav, a lot of things coming down on him at this time. You know, and even when you go back to last season and you consider like a win over Missouri, that was an embarrassment to the University of Florida. Yes. And his behavior in that game, running out onto the field, even in a scenario where they've won games in the last season or so under Dan Mullen, the university has been put through embarrassment based on his leadership. And talking with some Florida alums here in the last 24 hours or since the Hevesy and uh, Grantham news is broke, they're like, great, but it's too late. They think yeah. it's just right. the ship has sailed for Dan Mullen in his tenure in general. They don't – there was no real – reaction of okay now we can start to really move forward because at the end of the day what they've seen from dan mullen as a leader as a steward of that program is largely insufficient well and it, it absolutely it is and uh i and i know uh particularly uh with some of the columns uh that that we've seen and people we've talked to the problem right now, Travis is there's not a whole lot of people on that staff that, that Dan will listen to if they tell him no. Right. So, so, uh, that, that is a real problem at this point, uh, too. Uh, and, uh, and how I'm, does, how does assistant turnover address the right. maybe biggest issue, which yes. is recruiting? How does that change the way Dan Mullen at the top of the the staff goes about how he views and day to day orchestrates the recruiting effort, something that he's never been a big proponent of. 
it would be it would be very difficult. I know in some of the recruiting rankings right right now, Florida is either in the upper twenties or they're in the lower thirties. Trav, uh, and the reality is, uh, this is November. Early signing day is December the uh, the fifteenth, or or certainly in the middle of December. And you know, Walter Nolan, who you'll see in yes. recruiting rankings, is the number one defensive lineman prospect for the class of twenty twenty two. He was extremely high on Florida and has been throughout the process. Well, the same weekend that we see this turnover start with the Florida staff, Walter Nolan commits to Jimbo Fisher in the Aggies of Texas A&M. Anything else? We probably didn't credit, by the way, Shane Beamer in South Carolina enough uh, for this win because, as you talked about earlier in the podcast, when you look at the bowl pecking order for the league and teams that are either now bowl eligible or approaching that status, here's South Carolina yeah. on the cusp on really the doorstep of a bowl bid in year one under Shane Beamer. Five and four and uh, in, in looking at the possibility of, of Get getting Missouri to bowl. next, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that probably, frankly, is, is number six. I think – for, for what self else has left, uh, the Texas Tech job, as you mentioned, Joy McGuire from that Baylor staff, uh, which I was a little bit surprised at this, uh, that that he's already got the job, by the way. Not a lot of pop with that no, hire. No, and Baylor and Texas Tech play each other in about, about three Tells weeks. Tells me Texas Tech went cheap. You yes. know, with the yes. buyout probably due and and things like that with the, the previous staff and, and getting slick with them. You know, maybe McGuire turns out to be, you know, the the best hire Texas Tech could have ever imagined or hoped for. Um, but it just rang cheap a little bit with that hire. And I know, look, it's not necessarily easy to attract prime candidates to Lubbock. Um, but I've been out there. I can tell you, Texas Tech, from a facility standpoint, uh, you know, it's not Vanderbilt or something like that. I mean, it's it's not a bad gig. Uh, it, it, the amazing thing to me is nine, nine coaching changes so far, Traff, uh, as far yeah. as head coaches. I That's saw where a, UMass, UMass got in the mix. Yeah. UMass trying to get into that race, you know, with USC and LSU. <laughs> Absolutely. And, Absolutely. Oh, yeah, yes. Everybody yeah. else, of yeah. course. Absolutely. And obviously, uh, uh, big upsets and nearly, uh, nearly other upsets, Purdue meeting Michigan State. Cincinnati did themselves no favors at this point. No. But uh, but again, uh, and a lot of stuff we'll get into as we preview in the upcoming week. But I'll tell you this, and we were joking about it uh, with the uh, uh, at the end of the preview last week, saying no telling what's going to happen in the conference. So on the field and off the field, uh, it, it, it was one of the more <laughs> dramatic weekends in the conference we've had in a while. <laughs> and week 11 promises more fireworks coming up and we will preview all of that with you a little bit later in the week right here on second helping the top choice of followers and fans of the top league in all of collegiate football that of course the southeastern conference anything else brent before we get out of here uh we'll look forward to uh our preview coming up trav in a couple of days uh and and listen there's no telling what's going to (laughs) happen In two or three more days. So that should, but but as always, we certainly appreciate hearing from people. Uh, I I was at a gathering uh, the other night and someone came up to me and said, I just wanted to tell you that 
it is it, it is appointment listening for me to hear second helping. He said I do it at work, uh, and he said I actually listened to it twice just in case I miss something. So we love it. We appreciate that greatly. Yeah, if you haven't subscribed to Second Helping as of yet, you can do that. Simple as a click or two, wherever you consume podcasts. And if you'd leave us a rating and a review while you're there, that would be greatly appreciated as well. For Brent Beard, Travis Schreier, thanking you once again. Catch back up with us in a couple days as we preview Week 11 in the Premier League in all of collegiate athletics, the Southeastern Conference. Man, we're going to have some hoops cranking up here too in the next couple of days with the SEC as well. Until next time, so long, everybody.